0: Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 440 for Monday, December 21st. Today on the show, what in God's name is taking place in Knoxville? We've got the college football playoffs set, but we begin with the Tennessee Titans. Hey, what do you know? Nashville's professional football team will not be 9-7 this year. Tennessee picked up its 10th win of the season with a 46-25 win over Detroit in the home finale on Sunday. It is the franchise's first 10-win season since winning 13 games back in 2008. This, of course, after four consecutive nine-win seasons. It was the fifth consecutive game the Titans have scored at least 30 points and the ninth time they've topped 30 on the year. It makes this team now the highest scoring offense in Titans football history. With two games left to play, The 2003 team, led by MVP Steve McNair, had the previous Titans record with 435 points, but after hanging 46 on the Lions on Sunday, this team has now scored 436 points. If you include the Oilers in this conversation, the franchise's overall record is 513 points, scored in 1961, which is an absurd number for its era and in only 14 games. Even that record is technically within reach if this team can score 77 points in their final two games. On the game's first drive, Ryan Tannehill was 5-for-5, and Derrick Henry got seven carries and capped the possession with a three-yard touchdown run. The Titans never trailed in the game after that. Sure, the Lions tested the Titans' questionable defense, producing 430 yards and 25 points, and, and the win had some nervous moments in the third quarter when the Lions inched within six points. But the Titans proved why they are the superior team with a 21-point fourth quarter to pull away for a fairly easy workmanlike victory. And the win had a little bit of everything for everyone. A.J. Brown scored a touchdown in his third straight game and for the ninth time in 11 games this year. Corey Davis reached the end zone and posted his fifth 100-yard game of the season, helped by a 75-yard bomb in the first quarter. Henry carried 24 times for 147 yards to extend his NFL rushing lead and, for good measure, issued another murderous stiff arm that was borderline criminal. And Ryan Tannehill accounted for five total touchdowns and averaged over 10 yards per attempt. In fact, he became the first Titans quarterback to throw 30 touchdown passes in a single season. And his 31 scoring strikes are now just two behind Warren Moon and five behind George Blanda for the oilers Titans' combined franchise single-season record, and both are well within reach. The offense dominated on third downs, going 9-for-11, and in the red zone, going 5-for-5. And they even won the turnover battle 3-0 by forcing three big mistakes from Detroit, including an early goal-line fumble that really set the physical tone for the game while also taking points off the board for Detroit. Hell, even Kevin Byard added a late interception. It was the Titans' fourth win in five games, and it brings this team one step closer to clinching a playoff berth something, unfortunately, that did not happen on Sunday. With the Colts winning, the Titans are still tied atop the AFC South with two games to go, so the margin for error continues to shrink. But we all knew the final quarter of the season set up well, and so far this team has taken advantage of bad competition by putting opponents away with the terrifying running of Derrick Henry and the big play duo of Davis and Brown in the play-action passing game. When they do their thing the way we know Arthur Smith wants to do it, they are incredibly difficult to stop. The Titans did what they were supposed to do on Sunday, flex some muscle against an inferior opponent to better their playoff position. Mike Vrabel's squad has rebounded nicely from the debacle against Cleveland with two impressive showings and finished the season with a winning home record of 5-3. Tennessee will end the year with two road trips to the top-seeded Green Bay Packers and the Houston Texans. So Tennessee lost 34-13 to Texas A&M on Saturday to bring the season to a merciful 3-7 close, But that's not really the story, is it? In true Tennessee fashion, a report of internal and NCAA investigations into Tennessee's football program broke right as the game kicked off, as is tradition. Compliance investigations are complicated, arduous, and generally take a very long time to work through, so we may not know the details of the allegations for quite some time, and it may not really even matter, frankly. However, the timing of the information getting out and the motives behind the information getting out is incredibly important to consider. Jeremy Pruitt finishes his third season at 16-19 overall and 10-16 and in the SEC. Saturday marked the 13th time his team has lost by at least three touchdowns. Needless to say, Phil Fulmer and other powerful decision makers are actively evaluating the future of the football program. Pruitt's buyout is just under $13 million, with about 6 more million earmarked for assistance. If some major level one NCAA violations could offer UT cause to fire Pruitt and save a big chunk of cash, well, that could definitely change the calculus going on in Knoxville right now. Fulmer weaseled his way into the job of athletic director with zero experience running a $200 million business and then hired a first-time head coach with zero experience who clearly seems to be in over his head. Honestly, how is it surprising to anyone that here we are three years later in the exact same spot waiting through the exact same bullshit? Where is the leadership? Where is the culture that Fulmer was supposed to instantly install that was going to return Tennessee to its glory days? One of two things is true. Either Philip Fulmer has allowed the information to get out at the worst possible time in an effort to cover his own ass and save some money, or he's incapable of controlling his own athletic department. Either way, it's hot garbage once again on Rocky Top. And since it seems like Fulmer might be the only guy still holding on to hope that Pruitt, his hand-picked savior, will work out, it seems a lot more like incompetence than shrewd business decision. Although, knowing what we know about Uncle Phil's rise to power both as the head coach and AD, would anyone be surprised if Pruitt found himself wedged beneath the wheels of the proverbial Big Orange bus? No, it's not a coincidence that a damning, sensational report dropped right as Pruitt's team kicked off the final game of an awful season. The bowels of Tennessee's football program is still filled with radioactive waste. And the most disappointing thing about this bizarre new chapter in this godforsaken soap opera is that it was just so easily predictable three years ago. This week, rich, self-entitled boosters and powerful brokers are going to spend their time bending ears trying to convince somebody to fire Jeremy Pruitt. In an athletic department run by a strong, experienced leader, that person would be the AD. Full stop. And the idea that someone other than Fulmer may be making the final decision on Pruitt is really all you need to know about the state of things in Knoxville. The college football playoff is set. Undefeated SEC champ Alabama is number one and will face number four Notre Dame in the Rose Bowl, which has been moved from Pasadena to Dallas due to COVID at 4 p.m. Central Time on New Year's Day. Bama opened as an 18-point favorite, and I'm sure that line will only get larger as time goes along. On paper, the rematch of the 2012 BCS National Championship game feels a lot like a repeat of their last meeting. Bama could have three Heisman finalists and the most unstoppable offense in America. Speaking of, Clemson is the number two team in America after destroying the Irish in the ACC Championship and will face number three Ohio State in the Sugar Bowl at 7.45 p.m. Central Time on New Year's Day. The Tigers opened as a a six-and-a-half-point favorite over the Buckeyes, who, of course, got in as an undefeated Big Ten champion despite playing only six games. Clemson and Ohio State will play in the first round of the playoffs for the third time, with Clemson winning the previous two matchups. Alabama is the overwhelming favorite with its ability to beat you pretty much any way you want them to. The question is, did the committee get it right? Many fans, in particular ones in College Station, Texas, are focused on Ohio State, but that's the wrong approach. Texas A&M finished fifth in the rankings, barely missing a chance to rematch with Alabama. And head coach Jimbo Fisher, along with many others, believe that Ohio State shouldn't have been eligible because they only played in six games. Unfortunately, this is a flawed argument in so many ways. We know that the committee was going to have to evaluate teams with different numbers of games from the beginning of the season. Texas A&M got one game canceled, and Ohio State had three canceled, through no fault of their own. It all comes with the territory when you try to decide to play a football season during a raging pandemic. Ohio State was eligible, and no one has argued that they aren't one of the four best teams. I am willing to bet you that if Texas A&M was a 6-0 SEC champion, that Jimbo Fisher would be singing a very different tune. The Buckeyes had games with Illinois, who just fired its coach, Michigan, and Maryland canceled. Does anyone really think that Illinois or Maryland was going to upset the Buckeyes? No, the correct argument is Texas A&M might simply be better than, wait for it, Notre Dame. I would have voted Texas A&M into the playoff over the Irish. The resumes are almost identical. They are both one-loss non-champions with virtually identically lopsided losses, and even the makeup of the rosters, both offensively and defensively, are identical. The Irish had one big win over Clemson without Trevor Lawrence, and that was enough for the committee to put Notre Dame in ahead of the Texas A&M Aggies. I think A&M is slightly better than Notre Dame, but that's just my opinion. The committee disagreed. This is the debate that took place, though, and is the right one to focus on. Worrying about Ohio State and the Big Ten and the number of games they played is simply just a waste of your time. Because if it was your team that was an undefeated conference champion, you'd be pissed if you got left out for a second-place team that lost by four touchdowns. Thank you all for listening to the show. We do really appreciate it. Please share it with one person. Just tell... One person that you like the product, we really, really, really would appreciate it. It would mean the world to me. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall at 440 Sports as well. This has been the 440 for Monday, December 21st. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler.